You are listening to the Wine Cellar Podcast, where we simplify the world of wine. Each show, we discuss topics ranging from the grape to the glass. Here are your hosts, Brandon Bourgeois and Tyler Schwed. What's going on, guys? Tyler here from the Wine Cellar Podcast to bring to you another great episode. In this episode, we interview Brian McCaw. Brian McCaw is a well-established wine entrepreneur who founded WineAlign.com. Now, what WineAlign.com does for you is it helps uh, the average consumer find a great bottle of wine by looking at reviews and other different sources and articles to find the wine that's right for them. I think Brian will really blow you away with his incredible knowledge of the wine industry and the business of wine. So without further ado, please enjoy this interview with Brian McCaw. Yeah, we're, we're proud to be joined uh, this week by Brian McCaw, who is the head wino with WineAlign.com. Uh, and uh, Brian, thanks for joining us. I'm glad to be here. So Brian, I'd like to just, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there, out there that are familiar with WineAlign, um, but I'm wondering if you might be able to give a quick background on how that kind of came about and maybe touch on a little bit about your uh, experience with the wine industry. Uh, sure. Well, I'm relatively new to wine. I uh, I actually didn't drink wine until I met my wife about 20 years ago. Um, I guess she's created a monster. Um, wine Align is my third startup. I'm a reformed software developer with a business degree as well. And I uh, was running a company on the publicly traded company uh, back in 19, back in 2007, and we sold it. Um, after selling it, I was out of the job. Um, I got a little bit of a, a payout at the end from the stocks I owned, and I walked, walked to the bank and I paid off my mortgage. I walked across the street to buy a bottle of Shiraz, because that's all I drank back then, to uh, celebrate with. Of course, there was no interaction um, at the LCBO. It was um, in the cabinet. It was about $100. And I brought it home, and I was quite disappointed with the wine. And at that time, um, I was buying a fair amount of wine, I was, and I was researching it. I was buying it at the LCBO and seeing the review at the LCBO, but then after buying it, I researched a bit and often found the consensus from other wine critics was different than what I saw at the LCBO. I later learned um, that the, you know, the, the review that you see at the LCBO is the highest review they can find for that wine from anyone in the world. Um, and actually, the wine agents submit high reviews with the wines to try to get them listed at the LCBO. So I thought I got ripped off a bit at a very special moment, and I decided to do something about it. Um, and I basically figured out how to get into the LCBO inventory system, which was publicly available at the time and still is. And I ran across a couple of great wine critics who wanted to help me. And so the idea was to align the palettes of multiple top-rated wine critics with the actual inventory at the LCBO. So we could tell you what the top-rated Pinot Noir is in your local LCBO under $40 from New Zealand. And that was really the genesis of WineAlign. And that, I think I registered the name in April of 2008. We launched in December of 2008. Then we you know, did a quick pivot and fixed up a lot of bugs and stuff. And we relaunched again in early 2009, uh, in 2009. So we're, um, next year will be actually 10 years. That's the abridged history. Okay, great. And when you got started, was there anything out there that was like this? Or was this, was this a totally new innovation in, in kind of the industry here? 
Yeah, I think it was quite innovative in history, especially doing the inventory control and then the, actually the other concept of bringing together multiple critics. So I was very lucky to, to get introduced. I didn't know anyone in the industry, a complete, I didn't know anyone in the wine industry. Mm -hmm. But I had a couple of friends, talked to a couple more friends. I ran across David Larson. We actually had a beer together, or two beers if I remember correctly, at a pub in, uh, in Toronto here in the Kingsway where I live. And uh, he just thought it was a brilliant idea. Because yeah, usually his reviews were published you know, weeks later or months later in, in magazines and stuff like that. And because I got involved with David, and David has one, is one of the most respected wine people in Canada, you know, he kind of told two friends, and it kind of grew from that. Mm -hmm. So it was quite innovative to provide people with real-time um, uh, inventory information, cross-reference with multiple reviews at the same time. Right. Um, so we, we launched, and of course, I didn't know anything about, um, you know, SEO marketing, you know, that search engine optimization marketing or anything like that. And uh, we struggled along uh, for for quite a while. You know, I thought growth was great. I remember sitting around in January of 20, of 2009 with friends at dinner, and I'm saying, wow, I've got 400 people who are registered for the service. And I thought that was a big number. Um, right now, we're approaching uh, 115,000 people who have registered for OneLine. I mean, we get more traffic in one day right now than we got in our uh, – we get more traffic in one month right now than we got in our first several years. Wow. So it's it's really grown quite a bit. Um, right now, we're getting about 1.5 million unique visitors to the website every year. Um, in terms of traffic from Canada, because we're very much focused just on Canada – uh, we're getting uh, this year. We'll have over one million unique visitors from Canada to our website. Uh, we're we're based on we focus in Ontario and Quebec marketplaces, and in Ontario, we're going to have a, over a half a million uh, unique consumers to our website. When you think about the number of people who are into wine into in Ontario, that represents a significant number of the engaged wine consumers in the province. Oh. And would your typical typical you know user be be pretty experienced with the wine field? Or are you kind of seeing a wide range of people that are signing up? Uh, well, we have demographic information based on from Google, and it's really across the board. Mm -hmm. um, we did an analysis a couple of years ago, and we were because we were, we were basically um, started out to service the vintages shopper um, for your users who are not in Ontario. Vintages releases uh, the LCBO uh, vintages section of the LCBO releases about 125 wines every two weeks, and we're really focused on those consumers. You know, they're really jonesing for the information. Um, so we focused on those consumers. However, in an analysis we did, uh, we actually found that uh, people were looking at wines just as much at the $10 range as they were at the $30 range on our website. So uh, while we are more heavily weighted to uh, male, um, older consumers, uh, we also, um, initially anyhow, right now we're across the board. Um, in fact, our millennial traffic has grown quite a quite a bit as well. So we're, we're actually right across the board, a bit heavily weighted to um, males, let's say 40 to 60 in Ontario, because those are the primary vintage shopper. Okay. So would your would your typical user be looking for, you know, mid-range price wines? Or is it, is, is, is it, again, is that is that kind of a wide, you know, across the board as well? It's across the board. Wow. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'm curious, because obviously you were saying that with reviews of the LCBO, um, there might have been that that uh, that disconnect. It was inaccurate because they were showing only the top reviews. So I'm wondering mm -hmm. how you know you might have dis like I'm assuming you know in traditional publishing you know in in paper uh, print there'd be sort of those sort of rev reviews already. 
that would be yeah. separate from the LCBO. So how do how do you kind of uh, different differentiate yourself from those sort of paper publishing um, you know uh, outlets, I guess? Well, I think the the immediacy of the information um, is is the primary way. Yeah. And the, uh, the other thing we're doing is the, the people we have working for us are very much peer respected. I mean, um, anyone, and you know, th these people are well-meaning, but anyone can put a blog up and say, "Hey, I'm a wine, I'm a wine reviewer," mm -hmm. and you know, I think the ultimate goal is to get free wine sent to their home to taste. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, no, no one's in this. Everyone in this industry likes wine. They all like to drink. Let's not kid ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I think one of the ways we differentiate ourselves is that we're peer respected. Um, I mean, there's people out there who are not respected in the industry, um, who give high reviews. You know, they have advertising on their website. They throw up good reviews. I mean, there's a gentleman from um, Australia, uh, James Holiday, who's notorious for giving, you know, 94-point reviews. Mm -hmm. um, the, the problem that we face, frankly, is that um, as a publishing – as a publisher, uh, we – most of our revenue is based on advertising. Mm -hmm. And uh, – <laughs> One of the people I work with, John Zabo, who's Canada's first master sommelier, he's one of the most respected wine critics in the world, just wrote a great book on volcanic wines. He opened his speech at the Vancouver Wine Festival in February saying, I work at WineAlign and I've cost my company hundreds of thousands of dollars in advertising mm. <laughs> because um, most of the wines that have large budgets um, are very much commercial wines. Mm -hmm. Commercial wines often don't fare very well on our website, um, and that's the problem that we face is that, uh, you know, the people with big budgets, we slag their wines, and you do that enough times, you know, they say, well, I'm not going to advertise anymore with you, Brian, because, you know, you guys don't give my wine good reviews, and so that's the, that's the, the, the dilemma of our business um, is that we constantly piss people off. In fact, I think we eventually piss everyone off um, through a bad review of one of their wines at some point, but most people come back to us again. I, th I don't think I answered your question. I think I went on a tangent there. No, I think that's 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 a that's a really interesting insight into how you run your business because that, as you said, that it almost seems you know counterproductive that that's how you're operating your business model. Um, yeah, you know. someone pointed that out to me when I first started. I feel I'd be a lot further ahead financially, I believe, but um, it's well, uh, it's 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 tough that way, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm curious though. Like when you were starting out, did you did, was this a progression to get to this point? Because I'm assuming when you started it out, you're probably going after those big commercial companies. Uh, oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah, we've we've and uh, we you know we've got some great business partnerships over the years, and mm -hmm. you know the but the bottom line is that uh, there's a there's a there's a big dividing line between what the critics do and what the um, what the critics review wines and we're trying to sell. I mean, our salesperson you know has been crying many times, <laughs> you know, saying, guys, you know, these you're killing me with these reviews. But the guy, sorry, the guys. I said the guys. So we have female reviewers as well. Um, but you know, their their objectivity, their objectivity is sac sacrosanct. I mean, that's the most important thing to them. And we're they're reviewing wines here in the office. They don't know whether they're advertising with us or not. Like they, we don't even talk about that with them. It's just it's just off. Um, it's just it's just not discussed. So it's it's a dilemma in the business. Um, that's one of the issues we face. One of the other issues we face is the the rise of mobile phones as well. Um, this is a common thing across all publishers is that, um, you know, we make our, we make our money by advertising or most of our money through advertising. And, uh, but people are putting up ad blockers, right? Right. If you're looking at the content on a mobile phone, instead of saying three ads on a page, 
you're seeing only one ad and one's a very small ad. So it's been a real problem for us is the advent of mobile. It's it, it it's not unique to us, but it's a problem. And so one of the we're tra- one of the ways we're transforming ourselves is we've we've erected some paywalls um, and charging for some of our content. Um, the way it all works is that um, all the content on our website is free after 30 days. However, if you want to see some of this stuff before 30 days, you need to pay for it. And we charge a re- quite reasonable $35 a year for that content. So if you're really interested in review or you're shopping at Vintages, you want to see what the top wines and stuff like that, then you pay your $35, you know, like $3 a month in total, um, uh, which I think is a very reasonable amount of money to find some great wines. Mm-hmm. And we're, we've erected the paywall. Um, it has not been as successful as we hoped it would be because um, it's really hard, really, really hard to get people to pay for content. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like we we uh, we get emails from people, and I think you guys appreciate this a bit too, is that people can be really nasty on email when they don't know they're talking to a human being. <laughs> you, know, and I, you know, and these people are saying, I'm tired of your bait and switch, or I'm t- you know, this is a blatant ripoff. And mm-hmm. I always write back to them very respectfully saying, you know, we've, we're people too. You know, we have RSPs to contribute to. We, you know, we we got families to support. And you know, how can you create content for free? You can't. And then I usually add, you know, we've tried returning empties to the beer store to fund our RSPs, and it just doesn't seem to be enough. <laughs> so that type of approach, you know, we have to make people willing to pay for quality content. And that's another thing that we we, we feel quite strongly is that we have some really great writers here as well. And so we're putting out a really a really high quality package. But clearly, if you're bringing in, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of subscribers, you're doing something right, I'm sure. Well, we now we have 115,000 people who have registered. We do not have that number of people who are paying. Okay. Trust. Okay. Um, if we had those people paying, then someone else would be taking this interview, and I'd be <laughs> off somewhere sailing or something. <laughs> okay. So that's sort of that's sort of a bit of a background on the on the business and and how we've we've grown quite well we expanded into british columbia about 4 years ago first mm-hmm. um because we we wanted to we had some great people in bc we wanted to work with um as a way to uh start our, our awards program working with anthony Gismondi, who's the um wine critic for the vancouver sun and probably one of the most respected wine critics in canada as well um and then uh, Two years ago, no, in 2014, we expanded into Quebec as well. Uh, we did a complete translation of our website. We handed, we hired four new wine critics in Quebec and went with a new brand called Chacun Sauvin in Quebec. Um, and Quebec's been doing very well for us. This year, we'll have over 300,000 unique visitors from Quebec. Um, and it's been successful for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the business model works best in the monopolies. I hate to say that. So we work very well with the LCBO and the SAQ. Uh, unfortunately, we've actually exited the BC marketplace as a place where we're creating active content. Because of the highly fragmented nature of the BC marketplace, you've got BCLDB, you've got private liquor stores, you've got all these different sources. We couldn't really generate the same type of advertising revenue in BC to support the content creation. So we've made a, a, a quiet exit from BC at the beginning of this year. So why exactly is it that, that the monopolies are, are so much more useful for your for your business model? I, I'm, I'm sorry yeah. if you if you can't answer it, but I'm just I'm just looking for a little more clarity, like how. Yeah, sure. Because everyone has to shop at the LCBO in Ontario. Okay. Everyone has to shop at the SAQ. So the inventory we put up is relevant. The reviews we put up are relevant. But if you're in Vancouver, you've got you know three or four or five. If you're into wine, you've got multiple private wine stores you can visit whose inventories really aren't online. Or for us to integrate their inventory would be a, a huge deal. 
Um, you've only got you've got the BCLDB. You've got a lot of uh, it's just a it's it's a it's 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 a free market more well. So people from BC wouldn't say that, but it's much more fragmented. So the, frankly, the monopolies are good for our business. And if we lost a monopoly in Ontario, uh, the way we're structured right now would not be good for our business. Not that I support the monopoly in Ontario, but it, it's good for our business currently. So that's really incumbent on any before you go into any market. So whether that's you know in the future it could be you know somewhere like New Brunswick or Nova Scotia, you really need to have that formal working relationship with the provincial yeah. boards, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I, and I must say um, the people, in, especially the SAQ, uh, we we met with the current CEO of the SAQ about three years ago, and he said, Brian, we'll do everything we can to support your business. They've opened their data up for us, everything. They've they 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 because they know that we help drive people to their stores. Mm-hmm. Um, the LCBO was less helpful to work with at the beginning, but they have a new CEO, and uh, he's been very helpful as well too. So we actually have support from both the CEOs of the SAQ and the LCBO to um, facilitate the collection of data from their websites to to, to our members. So that's a, that's a real change. When we first started the business. You know, we were deadly worried about the about the LCBO and how they might you know they could squash us uh, very easily um, but they and I think I know there were discussions internally some people liked us some people didn't like us hmm. uh, but now I think they're generally supportive of what we do well, I'm sure as, as you know as time goes on you become so well ingrained with how things operate that it'd be a tough relationship not to not to maintain I would I would assume right well yes and uh, the again you know if, if you don't if you don't work in the province and know the, the, the business practice of the LCBO, you think, well, of course they'd be very supportive. But um, but anyhow, they are they are now, so I'm I'm happy with that. Okay, and if it's all right with you, Brian, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, you know how your involvement with the national with the wine awards. I know you just wrapped up uh, you know uh, an awards uh, uh, show in, in Nova Scotia. I'm wondering if you could maybe touch on that a little bit and how you got involved with that. Sure. Um, well, uh, the the wine awards were um, originally called the Canadian Wine Awards, and they've been run by um, David Larson and Anthony Gismondi for since 2001 or 2000. Since 2001, uh, they were done with the cooperation of a uh, of a magazine called Wine Access, uh, which is now defunct. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got involved about five years ago with them, and we basically bought the software to run the awards, and Basically, the people who ran it came to work for us. Um, subsequent to that, Wine Access went out of went out of business. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> uh, the marketplace thinks we picked up the, the marketplace thinks that we picked up the um, the pieces to carry on, but the, the the truth is we actually put them out of business, unfortunately. <laughs> Anyhow, I guess the truth has to come out at some point. So uh, we got involved. We ran the first awards in uh, 2013 in Niagara. Um, we had about 1,100 entries into it. Um, we move these around every year because we want to support the re- different regions of the wine regions of Canada. So then we did them in Penticton, we did them in Niagara Falls or Niagara um, uh, back in Penticton last year, and this year we went to Nova Scotia, mm-hmm. uh, which was awesome. We worked at, we're out there in cooperation with the Wine Association of Nova Scotia, um, and uh, there's a big wine Atlantic wine, wine symposium on before we did the awards there. Uh, we're in Wolfville, Nova Scotia. Very very lovely people, very supportive. Um, and we had a record number of entries. Uh, we had just we had 1,700 entries, 1,707 to be exact, uh, in the awards from 242 wineries. Uh, we put a little video up on our uh, on social media of the setup of six, over 6,000 bottles of wine, and so it's the largest awards in Canadian wine history. Um, and uh, it was it was a it's a huge 
uh, deal. It takes two days to set up the awards. Uh, the awards are spread over five days of tastings. So they're very expensive to run. Uh, we differentiate ourselves because we bring together about uh, 22 different wine judges from across Canada. Um, it's not a weekend affair. There's no brown bagging of wines. Uh, they're very restricted number of wines they taste per day, like 80 to 90 wines per day. And we spread them, we spread them over time. We have a huge temperature-controlled room. Uh, the wines are, you know, um, everything's brought out on, on, on carts for them. Um, we have some videos and stuff I can probably provide you links for if you want to augment the podcast at some point. Sure, sure. Uh, but it's a, it's a huge deal. And uh, we had a great awards, and we'll be announcing the results of the awards starting uh, next month, probably mid middle of next month. These will include, you know, top Chardonnays, top Pinots, the top small winery of the year, and the Canadian winery of the year as well. Okay. So it's a it's a huge deal. Um, we're very proud, and it takes there's about 15. The total staff is about 20 people to run these, um, including the volunteers, and there's 22 to 24 wine critics. Okay. Without, so, without releasing any of the uh, results, is there any takeaways that you had from this year? Was there, was there certain uh, types of wine that really uh, stuck out to you or anything like that? Well, I'm, I mean, I'm behind you know, the scenes doing lots of quality control. I'm using my fingers there because we can sample some of the you – know, we know the scores. And, oh, let's try that wine. Um, it comes back. So that's part of the fun for us behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, one of – and actually we just put an article up today. I think um, a hidden uh, – not a hidden but a, a, a new sparkling. Sparkling Canada's awesome sparkling wine. Our climate is set up perfectly for it, and this is something that's great from Nova Scotia. I mean, Nova Scotia has its own appellation now, the Tidal Bay uh, types of wines. But some of the sparkling wines coming out of Nova Scotia are fantastic. There's a, you know, there's there's several uh, great wineries doing it, but one really stands out, and that's Benjamin Bridge, um, who's just doing some amazing work with sparkling wine. It's got the right climate, the right grapes, and these are. You know, world-class sparkling wines. These are on par with some of the best wine, sparkling wines from Europe, and it's something that we really excel at. The other thing, in general, I think, is that um, you know we we've, we've all moved away from trying to produce wines that uh, the market wants and producing wines that we can grow properly. And that means things like um, you know trying try not to do very much Cabernet Sauvignon or um, you know Malbec. Um, but trying to do things, uh, doing, going back to things we can grow well, like Riesling, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, Cabernet Franc, uh, things like that. I'm sure I'm missing a couple. But uh, uh, those type of varietals that Canada is now uh, known for are, are just tremendous wines, tremendous wines. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, too, you're talking about Nova Scotia. I mean, from, from, and I, I'm sure you would know this a lot better than we would, but from our conversations with, with a lot of folks, uh, Nova Scotia seems to be a pretty interesting emerging wine region. Um, so I'm sure you, you you've probably seen you know evidence of of that in, in your in your time with the industry. Yes, absolutely, and it, and it's really coming on steam now. But again, they're kind of focusing on the wines they can grow properly um, versus wines that they think the market wants. Right. right? So, you know you know they probably tried doing the Cabernet Sauvignon, it just doesn't grow well there. But I want I want to make sure that I am not a wine expert. I work with <laughs> experts. I'm be, I'm behind. I love wine. I. You know, I just love wine, but I'm more the business guy. The people I work with are the true experts, so please take a big asterisk beside anything I say. Well, I was going to ask you too. Would you consider yourself more of a wine guy or more of a software guy at this point? Oh, I'm. I don't do any active software development anymore. Oh, okay. No, I have to pay people to fix typos now. It kills me. <laughs> so, so just... <laughs> no, I'm. I'm, I'm more spreadsheet, spreadsheets and analytics and stuff okay. like. That. Okay. 
And before we let you go, Brian, I, I'd, I'd, I'm really interested because I know you, you've been working on a new project, and I'm wondering if you might be able to, to share what you've been working on as well. Yeah, sure. Um, well, it's called The Exchange, and um, what it, the way it's going, well, basically there's been a lot of uh, interest around subscription box services. You guys have probably heard of, you know, Carnivore Club or Dollar Shave Club or, you know, Book of the Month Club. People like getting boxes uh, delivered to them. And uh, what we wanted to do, we, we wanted to um, fulfill that need, but also leverage what we have going here in terms of the skills of the people we work with. And so what we're planning on doing, or what we're doing, is we're going to start delivering a case of wine once a quarter to your home. But the case of wine will be curated. So what we've done here is, uh, so by curated, I mean that we've tasted all, we've tasted multiple wines, like you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of wines. And what we're going to put in that case is uh, 12 bottles of about $25 uh, each on, in, in price and, uh, and deliver those once a quarter to you. Uh, that, but they've all been approved by our critics. So basically, it's a no-brainer. And uh, we did a survey back in January when we first announced this. And we have right now over a thousand people who are interested in receiving a case of wine for us once a quarter. So we think this is a pretty big deal. Um, uh, one of the restrictions that we have in Ontario is that if you want to get a, um, you want to buy some wine that's not available at the LCBO and it's not domestic, like from a winery in Ontario, then you have to buy it by the case. But buying a wine by the case is a huge deal for people, um, especially if they've never tasted it. And I'll even say this, you know, even someone as much as I trust in my palette lines with David Larson, if David says to me, Brian, this is a great wine, you should buy a case, for me to go out and spend $300 on a case of wine without tasting it, um, on a single single type of wine, is a, it's still a big deal for me. So, the, so with this approach, you're going to get a mixed case of wines uh, cure, uh, vetted by multiple critics, you know, all 90-plus point wines. And so that's the idea of the exchange. Okay. And the reason we call it the exchange is this is the concept, because you can only buy, uh, you know, like as I mentioned earlier, um, you only can get a, a wine by a full case if it's not in Ontario. So imagine your kitchen, your kitchen, and you've got 12 friends show up, each with a case of wine, um, a homogeneous case of wine, of about $25 each. You, 12 people arrive with a case of wine, and the 12 people leave with a case of wine. However, the case of wine you leave with has 12 different bottles in it. And that's why we call it the exchange. So that gets around the restrictions of um, only being able to buy a case of wine, uh, um, uh, buying a full case of wine from a wine agent. So we're doing some really cool software behind the scenes to handle the payments. It allows a consumer like myself to buy a case of wine directly from a wine agent um, and then receive a week or two later a mixed case of wine. So it's a pretty big deal for us. We're kind of slow getting it all together because it is pretty complex, but we expect to be taking deposits for that um, in July. Okay. Well, and so October or so, you'll get a case of wine uh, delivered to your to your home, uh, which has been mixed. And if you like the wines in it, you can probably go buy another case directly from the agent by click a button or two. So it's a big deal for us. That sounds like and, a great project. Yeah, and and I think I think frankly, it's a good idea. I mean, who who wouldn't? I mean, if you're into wine, getting a case of wine once a quarter. That's been curated, all great stuff. Um, the survey people wanted, you know, between $25 and $30. They wanted mostly red, so we're going to do, we're aiming for eight red and four white per case. Okay. 
Oh, geez, cool. Brian, thanks a lot for taking your time and, and speaking with us. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure there's, there's, there's a lots of great content here that I'm sure our listeners will love to, to listen to and find out more information about. Uh, where can where can our listeners find out more information about uh, about um, all the things that you've mentioned? Well, at the um, very much um, radio unfriendly website, Wine Align. So that's W I N E A L I G N dot com. Okay. Perfect. No, Brian. Thanks again for taking your time and speaking with 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 us. And uh, we uh, we certainly hope to hear from you down the road. And and certainly we wish you all the success uh, moving forward. Well, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to talk to me. It's always fun to talk about one's business. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks again, Brian. And we'll 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 talk to you soon. Okay. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Right. Okay. Take care.